0: Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Bottler, and I'm your host for Talk Plus Water. I'm also the editor in chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texaspluswater.org. And you can sign up for the Texas Water Journal by visiting texaswaterjournal.org. Both publications are free. My guest today is Dr. Benjamin Cook. Ben is a research physical scientist with NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. He's also an adjunct research scientist with the Lamont-Doherty Earth Observatory at Columbia University. His research focuses on three areas, the interactions and feedbacks between land surface, terrestrial ecosystems, and the climate system, drought dynamics, and Paleo climate. Ben, welcome and thank you for being part of Talkless Water.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: So let's start out with your background in water. How did you first become involved with water? Uh, really, it
1: was from grad school, uh, you know, when I was starting to, when I went to grad school to study basically climate change. I was trying to think of the area that I really wanted to focus on. And, and the one thing that really interested me was water, because that seemed to be the kind of space where climate change really hits people and ecosystems, you know, kind of, kind of where they live. Um, and so, you know, my own kind of research developed from that interest in, in water and, and drought and understanding how all that is going to change in a warming world.
0: So tell us a little bit more about that research overall before we get into your new study.
1: Yeah, so you know, I study drought very broadly from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, I study droughts in North America that happened a thousand years ago. I study big historical event, events like the 1930s Dust Bowl drought or the 1950s drought in Texas. Uh, and then a lot of what I work on is try to understand how climate change is going to affect drought severity and drought risk. How can we expect droughts in different regions of the world to change as the world warms over the next? several decades to, to centuries.
0: So now you are one of the authors of a, a recent study that was published in science with the title Large Contribution from Anthropogenic Warming to an Emerging North American Mega Drought. Uh, you now tell us about that study and its findings.
1: Yeah so you know that that, that study kind of centers on two questions that we have. So, you know, if you look at what's happening in Western North America right now, uh, what you see is that most of the West or a large part of the West has been in more or less continuous drought for almost the last two decades. And so uh, we were looking at this event and we really wanted to ask two questions. One, how does this event, how does this almost two decade long drought compare to the worst droughts of the last thousand years? All right. And then two, Is there a climate change component there? Did climate change contribute to this event in in, in some way? Um, And so for this analysis, we combined um, a lot of data sets and expertise looking at tree ring based reconstructions of drought over the last thousand years, uh, instrumental records of. Climate and drought variability over the 20th century, and also uh, climate model computer simulations of how we expect the climate to change. You know, over the next over the next hundred years, um, and we uh, from the study we really came up with with two really big, or what we thought really big results. One, this drought is really comparable to what we call what of the so-called mega droughts from a thousand years ago. So if you go back a thousand years ago, you see uh, droughts that are 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years long, much longer than really even the worst drought events that we see in, in, in U.S. history. You know, much worse than the Dust Bowl or the 1950s drought. Uh, and what we see is that this drought that's going on right now is really approaching the length and severity of those really extreme events, right? Which is, is pretty remarkable. So this is, this drought is is different than anything in the recent past. Uh, The second thing we noted, we, we determined too, is that the reason that this drought was so severe and so impactful is that a large part of it is attributable to climate change. We estimated that about depending on how you do the estimate about 30 to almost 50% of this drought is attributable to climate change, which is which is huge, which means that you know, climate change turned what would have been a kind of normal run-of-the-mill moderate drought into one of the most severe events of the last millennium.
0: So now while you're talking about climate change, that's where anthropogenic warming comes mm-hmm. into play, right?
1: Yeah. So when we talk about climate change, we're talking about anthropogenic climate change. We're talking about global warming that's being driven by the burning of fossil fuels, primarily, that's putting up CO2 into the atmosphere, that's enhancing the greenhouse effect. And as that greenhouse effect gets enhanced, as the the world starts to warm up, it changes patterns of weather and variability around the world. And in the western U.S., it basically means just drier conditions.
0: So how do you uh, identify the influence, the anthropogenic in- influence on the megadrought that you're talking about? How do you how do you tease that out of the data?
1: Yeah. So, you know, any event that happens today, right, is happening in a world with climate change. And so that means any event that's happening today is going to be some mix of just the natural variations of the climate system that would be happening even if people weren't here, plus some influence of, of 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 climate change. And so what we can do is we can use different statistical techniques to kind of isolate what those factors would be, and then kind of recalculate what the drought would look like without climate change. So you know, for example. Uh, you know, we know that with warmer temperatures, we get um, a greater what we call evaporative demand in the atmosphere, right? The atmosphere wants to suck more water out of the surface and make the surface drier. So we can estimate how long term warming trends have influenced that have increased that. And then we can take that and we can kind of subtract that off the current drought and the actual observations uh, and use that as a way to kind of separate out, again, the natural variations and the And the climate change contribution Um, and a lot of this involves work with uh with climate models computer simulations that are designed to simulate all these processes uh, and these are models that make it very easy to kind of isolate and identify the climate change impact on very specific processes like evapotranspiration
0: so the uh, anthropogenic factors uh, they don't necessarily create the drought, but they make it more severe and, or maybe make it last long or something. Is that, is that, you
1: know, that, no, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely correct. You know, cl- climate change is not going to, you know, when they're talking about dr- any extreme event, we're talking about droughts or, or, or floods, um, you know, or heat waves, climate change is not going to cause those events, but climate change can affect them. Climate change can make them, more frequent, more likely to occur, more severe, more persistent. And so, you know, it's the wrong, the wrong question is, you know, did climate change cause an event? The right question is, well, how much of an influence did climate change have?
0: So we have the drought that's going on now. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're more familiar than I am with the research that came out in 2007, talking about how, uh, the you know Western United States was going to transition into more arid climate. I'm talking about a, a paper titled "Model Projections of an Imminent Transition to a More Arid Climate in in Southwestern North America," and that uh, asserted that uh, the Dust Bowl and the 50s drought would become kind of the new climatology for the Southwest in the 21st century. And do you see that that has taken place?
1: Well, I think, what it's, I think what it's showing is, you know, a lot of the work that we've done in the past, you know, both that paper and then some, you know, work that I've done also with, you know, uh, um, other co-authors on the paper, you know, is that if you look at the climate model projections for the future, the West looks drier. Right. I mean, a warmer world means a drier west, means higher drought risk, means more severe droughts in in the western U.S. And that's the kind of aridification. Um, You know, this study shows that that is already beginning to happen. Right. So climate change is not just a future problem, but it's a problem ongoing ongoing right now. Uh, Now, that said, you know, natural variability is still going to be important, right? So even as climate change starts to steadily change the baseline, change the climatology to a drier one, superimposed over that baseline is just going to be natural variations, you know, natural cycles of dryness and and, and wetness. Um, So, you know, even in the future, we're still likely to get wet years or maybe even wet decades. But, you know, what climate change means is that it's much easier to go into a drought much harder to come out of a drought and any droughts that do occur are likely to be much more severe than they would have been in a world without climate change.
0: So in my own research, I noticed uh, 15, 20 years ago, looking at data having to do with recharge to the Edwards Aquifer in Texas, that it seemed like if you looked at the recharge going back to the 1930s, that starting in the late 80s, you saw this pattern where there were really much more exceptional dry years and and then uh, there were even um, more significant flood years, you know, following that. This pattern of, you know, a few dry years put together more frequently and them being more severe and then really big flood events ending that dry period. And, you know, I, could see this pattern uh that was emerging that you really didn't see in the earlier data is that is that the kind of thing that that maybe uh we're going to be experiencing
1: yeah i mean it's it's possible i mean you know texas is you know even in the western u.s texas is kind of exceptional from this perspective where you know it oftentimes swings from these really extreme dry, dry, you know, drought periods, drought years to really extreme, you know, wet years. And California is also kind of very, very similar that way. Um, You know, it's hard. It's hard to say specifically if recent trends are, you know, climate change or, you know, indicating a trend, you know, driven by climate change, Um, you know, you really need to do a kind of deep, kind of analysis like we try to do with this paper before you can really say that with any confidence. Um, But there is some evidence that at least more broadly, we expect the, all the extremes to kind of increase, you know, global warming kind of supercharges the hydrologic cycle, you know, meaning that when it's dry, it's even drier. And when it's wet, it's, when it's even wetter, Um, you know, and so it's possibility, but it's just, it's hard to say anything kind of definitively about, about that thing right now.
0: So the study, I think, uh, you know, really uh, drilled down on the uh, Colorado River base. And and I'm looking at that. And I'm thinking, you know, what are the implications of this new climatology uh, on that base?
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's it's funny, you know, Water in the West is, you know, obviously a, a contentious, complicated kind of fraught issue sensitive to a variety of, of social and and cultural and, and, and physical and physical factors going back 100 years. Right. Um, you know, on one hand, I think I think there's reason to be relatively kind of optimistic in the sense that, you know, what we've seen in the Western U.S. over the last 20 years is actually a lot of cooperation. You know, people, states, stakeholders, managers, kind of taking the initiative to come up with the best kind of compromise solutions to try to figure out. You know, how can we keep making the water deliveries? You know, even in the midst of you know some of these extreme extreme drought years. Um, now that said, you know, well as well as say we have, we have a kind of toolbox of things that we can do to to kind of deal with this stuff. And so the the big question then becomes, you know. Is what we're doing now going to be sufficient to deal with, you know, water in the future or water issues in the future? And, and maybe not. But again, you know, we're not kind of just passive responders. You know, we have agency and we there's a lot of things that we potentially could do. Right. I mean, you know, there's discussions to be had about things like groundwater banking or decisions about agriculture, you know, or revisiting some of the ways the water is distributed and and, and stored, Um, which doesn't mean that they don't present kind of challenges. But, you know, there's we're not at a dead end. There's things we can do. It just it just you know, what matters is that people don't pretend this is not going to be a problem and it's not going to be an issue because, you know, by all accounts, the best evidence we have is the West is going to get drier. People in the West are still going to need water. And so, you know, let's maybe be proactive for once and try to figure out the best way to, to, to deal with that.
0: So I just want to say that I think you're absolutely correct about that. I see examples all over the Western United States where there are institutions coming together and stakeholders coming together to, to try to change the way they manage water and or are seeing success in doing that. And so that gives me a lot of hope for the, the water side of the equation having to do with climate change, at least in the Western United States. Um, when you look at uh, indicators, though, one of the things that I'm interested in is uh, snowpack. It seems like, uh, you know, that's a, a really obvious indicator for for people to watch in terms of the influence of climate change on on water supplies and you know even in texas we we do i mean you know people don't really think about it too much but we do have to watch snowpack because that is a a a contributor contributor to water in the Rio Grande.
1: yeah i mean in some ways you know snow is, is snowpack is kind of the canary in the coal mine of this sort of um you know of kind of climate change and, and water and and the reason for that is because you know it responds very strongly to a threshold, right like if it gets above freezing, then snow melts. Precipitation falls as rain rather than snow, uh, and suddenly you've even if you're getting the t- same total amount of water inputs, you've fundamentally changed the seasonality, the hydrologic cycle in ways that oftentimes we're, we're not prepared to deal with or, 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 or manage around. Um, and you know, other studies have shown, you know, you can see a clear climate change signal in both recent decline, you know, declines in the snowpack in the Western US, including in the Cascades and the Sierras over the last, you know hundred years uh, and is a clear climate change signal in some of the snow drought years that occurred during the the worst of the California California drought years. Um, so particularly in kind of the, the warmer mountain regions at the kind of lower elevations, you know, warming is likely to have a very strong kind of impact. You know, in the case of the Colorado, you know, there's still, you know, a little bit of kind of discussion there about about it. And part of the reason is that, you know, the Colorado, uh, you know, river watershed is very high elevation, right. And a lot of the snow happens at very high elevations that even now are, are not being impacted so much about, about so much with warming in the sense of, you know, it's still not getting above, above freezing. Um, so it's possible that, you know, some of those areas could, you know, serve as, kind of refugia, you know, places that might be a little bit more resilient in the face of climate change compared to, you know, parts of the Cascades or, or the, or the, or the Sierra.
0: Of course, there are parts of the world, uh, for example, the Himalayas where, uh, those regions really depend on snowpack in terms of water supply and, and contributions to rivers. How do you think that, uh, you know those countries are going to fare kind of under they're under the same kind of pressures, are they not? I mean, they're they're going to see reductions in snowpack, and they've you know they've got water that is uh, you know already uh, being contested by a number of nation states that, that share those rivers. Uh, what what do you kind of see uh, potentially happening in situations like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these regions are going to have to deal with the same kind of struggles, you know, and issues as as you know, water managers in the West, who all you know, many of which also feel like are, you know, managing water resources that depend critically on 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 snow. You know, you know what to do about it. You know, is is hard. I mean, oftentimes, you know, the problem is not that there's less water, but that the water is coming at the wrong time. You know, so for example, in California, you know, California's reservoirs are managed for flood control during the winter time. You know, so they basically try not to store too much water in the in the in the reservoirs, so that they can absorb kind of big storm events. You know, they're depending on having that snowpack there that can store the water that then they can capture in April with the big snow melt and use that water in the in the summer and the and and the, the growing season. Um, so you know, that's you know, how do you kind of change your management structure around that. I mean, the West is going to have to figure that out. Other places of the world are going to have to figure that out as well. And a lot of other places too, you're going to have issues with transboundary water issues. So, you know, I think a really good example is, is the Mekong, you know, river system, you know, where the headwaters is snow melt, you know, fed, and that's con- entirely controlled by China. And so, you know, working out those issues between China, you know, making sure that there's cooperation between China and, and Southeast Asia to make sure that everybody's getting the water they need, you know, can be a kind of contentious, you know, thing, but, you know, again, it's going to, it's something that people are going to have to have to deal with and address.
0: So I want to go back a little bit, uh, and, uh, talk about, uh, tree rings and, and the information that you use to put this study together. And, just thinking about that there are uh, also, I guess some other uh, sources of potential information. I don't know if you use pack rat mittens or speleothems or uh, anything like that, but um, I'm just curious, you know, we've got, uh, it looks like to me a a great wealth of uh, tree ring data in the United States, which has been cataloged and is available. Does that, really the situation all over the world or are we just fortunate that we've been doing it and we, we have that at our fingertips? Yeah. I mean, you know, Western
1: North America and from this, in this regard, Western North America is really lucky because we have lots of trees, many of which live a very long time, hundreds and even over a thousand years. uh, And these are also trees that are very sensitive to drought. And so, you know, the advantage of trees is that, you know, there's lots of them. They, uh, can tell you what's happening in an individual year. So you can get some very high resolution data and you can get some really finely detailed picture of, you know, of drought variability across space and, and time. Right. Now within North America, if you want to go back further in time, beyond about 2000 years, then, you know, tree rings are going to struggle. We only have a few places where we have trees that go back further than that. And so that's where you're going to need to lean on some of these other you know proxy records that you mentioned, like Spirotherms or, or Um There's a lot of other areas that have trees that can help us out. So you know, Europe and the Mediterranean, uh, Asia, uh, Russia, you know, uh, New Zealand, Tasmania are all places that we can get a really a pretty good handle on on drought using tree rings. But then there's a lot of really important regions that we don't just don't have. The data. Right. So a lot of the tropics, they have trees, but the trees don't put on annual rings. Um, and so it, we can't really use them to to look at past drought variability. You know, much of Africa, you know, doesn't have a lot of trees um, or trees that we can use for this purpose. And so a lot of these other regions, you have to either do a lot more work to try to see what trees are available um, or in many cases use. Like you said, other proxy records um, to kind of fill in the gaps that you know that we to the can't with using tree rings.
0: So the study has been out for a week or two now, uh, at least. what What's the reaction yet? Thus far, how would you characterize that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been um, obviously a lot of interest, uh, you know, uh, especially from you know people who are not specifically within the the kind of scientific community. Um, which is good because this is what we were hoping. We were hoping this kind of you know, study, you know, we felt it was important enough that we wanted, you know, to engage people and communicate it to kind of a much broader audiences and 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 we feel like that's um you know that's that's been accomplished. Uh the interactions, you know, are, you know, oftentimes a lot of worry, right? I mean, you know, people in the West, you know, have been living through this drought in, in various kind of ways. And so, you know, they're kind of intimately familiar with it. Um, and, you know, certainly nobody, nobody likes to hear that, you know, these sorts of events, you know, are the sort of things that climate change is making, you know, much more, uh, much more likely, um, But most of all the people I've talked to kind of are really interested and appreciative of the information and and our work to try to understand, you know, what climate change really means for water in the Western U.S.
0: Have you noticed any differences in the way people uh, receive information when it's related to climate change over the last few years? Does it seem like uh, maybe that there's a greater general recognition um, about it? You know, I think so. And I think a lot has been driven by,
1: you know, the, for lack like a better word, kind of the Greta effect, you know, where, you know, Greta Thunberg, you know, along with a lot of other youth leaders have really kickstarted a movement, you know, to, you know, really push forward this idea that climate change is a problem that we need to start dealing with. And, you know, one of the, beneficial side effects of that has been that there's been much less attention paid to either by the media or even by politicians to the kind of fringe climate deniers. Uh, and, you know, so it's made it much easier to actually kind of communicate and, and get the message out and, and, and really discuss, you know climate change from a perspective of what people care about. I mean, you know, the noise is much, is much reduced. Um, and so, yeah, so I think there's, I think there's a, a better appreciation. I think the, I think the conversation has shifts has shifted at a large scale. I think the conversation, the conversation has shifted from, you know, is it happening to what do we need to do about it or what can we do about it? Which, you know, I think is hardening.
0: Do you see that uh, people are optimistic or, pessimistic about uh, how they're going to try to deal with climate change and how um, the, uh, the government is approaching it?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, just because the, I mean, the approach is so fragmented, right? I mean, a lot of the work that's actually being done from a kind of adaptation perspective is really being driven by kind of local and state governments, you know? And so they're kind of doing, you know, a lot of them are doing what they can to kind of prepare for climate change, to plan for it, you know, to work on adaptation measures, to try to figure out what they need to be concerned about, you know, as they move forward with developments over the next kind of few decades. Um, You know, so I think that's, you know, a kind of a a source of optimism. Um, You know, there hasn't really been any leadership at the federal level on this, Um, you know, and even internationally, you know, there's the Paris Agreement, but I mean, the Paris Agreement is not, it's probably not doing as much as it really should be, you know, to really kind of rein this in. You know, I mean, you know, what I point out to people is right now, you know, we've had about one degree of climate change. Right. And we're already seeing significant impacts, you know, around the world, you know, sea level rise, you know, floods, extreme storms, you know, droughts, heat waves, kind of you name it. Right. Our current trajectory is for another probably two degrees by the end of the 21st century. Right. So you know, triple everything that's happening or, you know, now, you know, and that that's kind of where we're headed. And that's something that, you know, we probably need to be a lot more aggressive about, you know, at the kind of international scale.
0: So we're going to go ahead and wrap up, but I want to ask you, uh, if you could help us uh, for those who would like to learn more, where where are some places that they might go to find out more about mega drought and climate change?
1: Oh yeah. Um, you know, so uh, carbonbrief.org is a great news site that um, has articles about drought, um, but also just great articles about the kind of current state of climate science and and climate change. And it's a really great kind of approachable website to cut through a lot of the noise um you know any uh you know any of our websites you know searching for you know lead author park williams or myself and you'll find you know lots of links to um uh you know to articles and 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 interviews and and things we've done you know all kind of talking about mega droughts
0: so my last question for you is that uh, is what's next for you
1: yeah i mean you know we're we're still kind of interested in the, in the climate change and, and, and drought question. And, and a lot of it is trying to understand, you know, what's the, you know, what are the kind of range of possibilities, you know, in the future, you know, given different kind of trajectories, you know, how, you know, what's the best case and maybe worst case scenarios for climate change and drought, you know, moving forward. Uh, And then also kind of to drill down a little bit more to think about kind of drought impacts, you know, when you get a drought event, you know, at different times of the year and different locations, what does it mean for water resources and ecosystems and agriculture and and, and even people um, in those regions? And to try to you know look a little bit more at this kind of specificity.
0: Ben, thank you so much. I've really learned a lot, and uh, I know that our listeners are going to find uh, this conversation today very interesting. Okay, great. Happy to do it. This has been Talkless Water. My guest today was Dr. Benjamin Cook. A research physical scientist with NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, and an adjunct research scientist with the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory at Columbia University. My name is Todd Botler, the host of Talk Plus Water. Let's talk water again soon.